this is the book report. Bastard. Oh, that works. Hey, <laughs> bastard. He didn't call you, Damien. Not you, dog. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you know your father, so I guess you could be a bastard. Probably. Odds are pretty good. <laughs> Most when dogs are, are bastards. Any type of domesticated animal, you're probably a bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Guess what, podcast people? I don't. We need listeners. a we need a word for our audience that's better than listeners. Bookworms. No, I hate it. <laughs> Guess what, bookworms? I hate it because the whole thing about book condoms is supposed to be preventing bookworms. Right. Hey, book chlamydians. Book chlamydians. I do randomly like that one. Of course you do. Anyways, we're in the same place. Stephen's in my house. At the same time. But that was implied. It's not even a holograph. <laughs> this isn't some Tupac shit. Where'd my phone go? Well... Why do you need your phone? We're in the same room. But we're going to... You're not the only person I talk to, A, and B. Not true, first of all. <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about books, and I don't have any notes, so I'm going to look up things on my phone. Oh my god, why are you recording already? <laughs> all right, go grab your phone while I regale our podcast listeners with a story. You always record for like 10 minutes before you actually start talking about So it. once upon a time, Joel and I were roommates in college, and we watched a very, very weird movie. <laughs> It was kind of like 300, but it wasn't 300. It was set in ancient Greece, and the men wore very short skirts. And we couldn't fall asleep for about two hours because it was horrifying. We saw way too much. Yes, it made it's the reason I'm bi now. Joel didn't know he was gay until he watched that movie. (laughs) Not even remotely true, but it did. It, it like, was softcore it, gay yes, erotica. Yes, it like rewrote your brain for a little while. It was horrifying. It was very not okay. As a straight man, I'm still turned on. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Stephen's wife is in the other room, and you can probably hear all this. <laughs> Everything. She just said, Ayo. Damien was in here too. But that would be Jules' dog. He's not very talkative. Uh, also known as Jules' <laughs> human pup. Jules a furry. Stop! Uh, so, because apparently Jen does not remember her favorite book any, at all. Apparently she's not listening very well. Jules just paused for her to chime in. And she, she is currently knitting a sweater and doesn't want anything to do with us. Because you thought Stephen was, you know, roughly my age, but actually he's my 80-year-old friend and his wife is also 80 years old. Correct. <laughs> Um, I've been doing shrooms to stay young. <laughs> I think that's how drugs work. Do you, have you ever tried shrooms? That's a good, good point. Thank you. Uh, but we were we were gonna convince her to do her the first guest, which is gonna be Jen. Um, but she didn't want to do it, so instead we're going to wing it and talk about books we hate. Which is why my book is going to be the Bible. That's a... Sorry, the Koran. That's a real strong start there. Um, I had forgotten what I was going to do, which is why that was all stalling to try to remember. Oh, you were waiting for me to say what book I was going to do? <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I am actually going to do a book by the late, I wish, the great, wow. also wish... You can't wish someone's dead. <laughs> Veronica, Veronica Roth, who wrote the Divergent series... 
I feel like I'm allowed to wish. I don't think you will. should wish death upon authors. I don't know if someone would want death. About books. Ernest Hemingway probably would have appreciated it. I have a quote of Ernest Hemingway. I'm sorry, what was that? I've been drinking a lot of eggnog. That's It's got <laughs> bourbon in it, in case anyone's curious why eggnog would cause that. Okay, most people drink eggnog with alcohol in it. You do realize that, right? Nope. We grew up in Christian households where alcohol was evil and eggnog was just that gross shit you bought at Brahms. I bought mine from Walmart, so it was worse. <laughs> no, there's an Ernest Hemingway quote behind you. And what does it say? Write drunk, edit sober. See? Fun fact, I didn't look behind <laughs> me when I said that. <laughs> okay, well, the book I hate that I'm doing is, and it's one that Stephen absolutely loves. Wait, I didn't say what book I'm doing. You, but you just did say it's the from series. the series, but yeah. I'm not actually doing the whole series. Oh, okay. I like the first two books. Okay, so you're narrowing it down. I am narrowing it down because the last book is the worst thing ever written, and it is called something. So please go while I remember the name Let's of the book. See if the first one was Divergent. I haven't read these books. I've seen the first movie. Allegiant. Oh dang it! I was gonna I try it. to guess. I got it. It was Allegiant. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'm doing Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. You son <laughs> of a bitch. I hate that book so much. For those of you listening, The Way of Kings and the resultant series is one of my favorites. Yeah. Joel is a dick. Mm-hmm. This would be very similar to if I said that Orson Scott Carr's terrible book, oh, what's it called? Beginner's Game? Beginner's game? Ender's game? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we already it was did a hot Ender's sack game, of crap. And you love that book, too. Well, because it's hard not to. However, Way of Kings is very hard to love. All right, fine. Well, yours starts with A, so you have to go first. Tell us all no, why. No, the author starts with V. That's not. We don't do author's alphabet. We also don't normally do this podcast in person. Or about books we hate. So we're breaking all the norms. Do you want me to go first is what you're saying? Well, we can. I just want to tell everyone that uh, although Joel is a 28-year-old man living on his own in a house, his podcasting studio is underneath a lofted bed. It's my office it's, slash it's guest not even, room. It's not even his bed. It's a second bed. It's a guest room. It's a guest room with a lofted bed. Yeah, I don't, I don't see what the problem here is. No, there's no problem. There's no door on this room also. Yeah, I, I need to install one of those barn door sliding things. Have you seen those? I have yeah, seen they're them. They're really cool. They're very cool. I want to install one, but also this is a rent house, and I don't feel like doing that much work to it. No, you shouldn't. I also don't know why there's not a door to this room. <laughs> well, it definitely cuts down on the serial killers. Anyways, uh, Allegiant is my book. Um... So like I said, the Divergent series, I actually do like the first two books. I think they are complete Hunger Games knockoffs, but they're entertaining. Um, and being a knockoff by itself, I'm, I have a knockoff book that I absolutely love that I'm going to do in a couple weeks. Knockoff books, if you do something original with them or you just tell an interesting story, go for it. Knockoffs are fun. Right, and I think that the first two books are pretty entertaining. The problem is that Veronica Roth, when she wrote these books, was in her early 20s, and I think she thought that since her books were very well sold, she thought she was a much better writer than she is. That didn't go well, because when she got to the third book, she really, really, and we're going to do a huge spoiler here, she really, really, really wanted to kill off her main character as the poignant end of the series. Unfortunately, 
Her other two books were written in first-person point of view. So what happens when you kill off a first-person point of view book character? You can't tell the book anymore. Right. The book <laughs> dies. It's over. It's done. It's like if you kill me, you can't say what happens for the rest of my life because we're done. So for the first two books, they were both written in first-person point of view. I'm sorry. From... I need to interrupt here. Did you just try to explain what death was to <laughs> I did. Most – to be fair, none of them have experienced it before. I mean, okay. okay. To be fair. Continue. So anyways, <laughs> the first two books are written in first-person point of view by the girl character. And then um, when she gets to the third book, the author decides to do – Two separate first-person point-of-view storylines. That aren't the now-dead girl? One of them is the, still the main character. The other one is her love interest, whose name is Four in the book. And the very, very first two chapters when she does this, you realize, oh, you know what I bet she's going to try and do? Kill off the main character, because why else would she split the third book into two separate first-person point of view yeah, characters. Yeah, you're going to have to do that the whole series if you're going to try to surprise us with it. Exactly, because you can immediately tell that the author had no idea how she was going to finish this book, and then as she was sitting down with her publisher for the third book, was like, you know what? I should kill off the main character because that's deep. That is cathartic. Whatever. <laughs> so she decided to write an entire book in first-person point of view from a male and female character, which is fine. It's a little weird if you haven't done it for the other two books in the series, but it's weird. Unfortunately, she's not a very good writer, and so both characters sound and act exactly the same throughout the book. So you're reading this, and you have no idea who is speaking in each character because the chapters and you've gotten used to reading just one character exactly time, you've gotten so. used to reading from one character's point of view and every chapter isn't named whatever the girl's character name is and then whatever the boy's character name is they're named chapter one chapter two chapter three chapter four chapter five so there is no clue to give you any idea okay i just what you're listening i finished to. reading a book recently that did that too had so many points of view but most of the chapters opened with saying the character's name that right. was writing it. And that's helpful. And if not, it was every character was so vastly different that you could tell who you were listening to really early on, unless you weren't supposed to know. Well, and that's the problem because every character in this book is a moody teenager. Yeah. Because so. it's dystopian science fiction, which means everyone's going to be a moody teenager. It was impossible to read. It was impossible to figure out who was speaking. And so you would read three quarters of a chapter thinking it was the boy. And then suddenly it'd be like, and then I had my period. And you're like, oh my God, it was a girl. Never mind. My bad. If the story had been written by an omniscient narrator or told you by an omniscient narrator, would her death been an exciting twist to the series? Would it have been, would it, would it have been worth it if the, if like the two-voice thing had it ruined it? No. So I'm actually a fan of omniscient point of view. Sometimes I think it can be done well. A lot of people would disagree with me. But the problem is that um, there is no magic in the entire book series. It's dystopian science fiction set in the real world. And then when you get to the last book, when the main character dies, her mother suddenly like appears to tell her, congratulations, you did everything you were supposed to. It's okay if you die now. And then she dies. 
and it's bizarre. It doesn't make any sense with the theme of the book. It doesn't stay true to the motif. It's bizarre. Huh. Sounds like she didn't know how to finish her series. At all. She okay. had no idea. She had suddenly been thrust into fame and fortune. She was making millions and millions of dollars off of her movie deal, and then she was required to finish the book. George Martin is handling this a lot better by just not finishing the book. That's, I don't know if a lot better, <laughs> but possibly better. Hey, we can't be that disappointed true. if he doesn't finish it. That book. is one of my biggest problems with fame that goes to creators' heads is that it very quickly becomes, oh, I can do no wrong. It's like, no, no, you need to question yourself constantly if you're a creator because you can do wrong. And I also, <laughs> Look at the prequels for the Star Wars movies. Oh, God, those are you so can do bad. wrong. Like, why would you create any character that says, me say Jar Jar Me see a humble servant. But it's the same. It's bizarre. It's the same problem. Is Lucas didn't do the original series by himself. Mm-hmm. There were so many other hands in the pot. But then he got famous from it, and so they're like, oh, I can do this by myself. Look at how famous and rich I am. Oh, 100%. And then um, even if you are famous and can generally do it really well, you still need people to rein in your creative tendencies. Yes. Because Quentin Tarantino has done some phenomenal stuff. But when he got to The Hateful Eight, um, the person who edited his books just didn't edit The Hateful Eight. And so Quentin Tarantino didn't have anyone saying, hey, this part of the movie isn't great. Yeah, like why did you suddenly have narration an hour and a half into your film? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You always need a first look, someone who can be honest with you. Yeah, you need someone, honestly, it's ideal if the person doesn't like you. Yeah, yeah. That way they can just be honest. You need an angry editor. Right. Hmm. All right, so that's... I was going to say any, like... Uh, what's your like last poll? What's your last hate moment for this book? It was stupidly written. It honestly was really, really well done. The first two books. Um, I'm not much of a young adult fiction person. I don't usually like it. It was very derivative. It felt very much like the Hunger Games, but it was enjoyable enough that I read through the first two books and thought they were fun reads i would read them on an airplane to stay entertained and then the author decided to write the third book and (laughs) they should not have done that until they were ready to be a literary genius instead of a literary amateur the end okay that's powerfully painful words but i don't know about that Not incorrect uh you know what i can say whatever i want because i'm a nobody that's and veronica roth is a multi-millionaire that's also of true. movie and book yeah. deals. So <laughs> like, she made a lot of money, she but they also didn't like theatrically release the final movie, did they? Uh, you know what? I don't even know. I stopped paying attention. The yeah. first movie wasn't the first very movie good. Was, the first movie was decent. I watched it. It was okay. I haven't seen any of the other ones. I mean, there was that whole thing where um, Hollywood was trying to capitalize off of the Hunger Games, and yeah. the Hunger Games movies were pretty good. You know, they were well done. The they got worse <laughs> as they went on, but. Um, Divergent didn't really start out very strong. It was if Damien, I mean, if Steven sounds distracted right now, it's because Damien, who's been scared of him, even though he's met him before, this whole day is now begging her attention from him, out of nowhere while we're recording. He's a very weird animal. <laughs> and also, um, Steven's probably going to get very mad at me while I rant about. One of his favorite books now. If you hear a loud thud, it's me breaking something heavy over Joel's head. Okay. I'm going to preface this by saying I love Brandon Sanderson. 
I just got a new book for Christmas by him that I'm very excited for. Uh, I've read most of his stuff, but The Way of Kings is like all of the worst fantasy things rolled into one overlong, boring-ass book that never gets to any kind of point, and I hated it. So I'm not flipping Joel off just yet, but only because I want to know why he feels this way. Okay. Continue. I have several complaints, and I could have listed them out, but we did this on a whim. So I'm just scrolling through the Wikipedia page, and my first complaint that pops up is, I hate fantasy names and words that are there just to tell you this is a fantasy book. Like, bitch, I know. I'm reading a fantasy book. You do not need to name, and I'm going to pick these out of random on the Wikipedia page. You don't need to name people Kaladin or Shalon Davar or Seth, spelled with an S-Z for some reason. Or Seth Ashin, Alethi, Gavilar, El Hokar, Parshindi. What the fuck? This is not necessary. Name people normal names. Give easily pronounceable things. Don't like try to force people out of your story with fantasy words as the first thing you could do. Okay, that's minor complaint. I usually get over that in fantasy books, but God, there's a lot of them in this one. The biggest thing about this book that was annoying to me is it had no interest in telling you a story at first. It just started, which, okay, I'm, I understand this is the first book in a series. You need to establish your setting. You need to give people a world, but... A, your world is boring as hell, so give me a better world. And B, if you're going to establish setting, establish setting through events or something, and don't just like have a dude traveling across the world explaining what's going on or have somebody stuck in – okay, um, this is way later in the book and obviously free ran on spoilers. Don't have, have somebody in these cracked lands that are just a giant desert fighting massive crabs with no bloody explanation or, you know – reference to what's going on anywhere else in the world it was just so long too the book just kept going and hadn't gotten to a point yet and i feel like i was near the halfway point before i realized um that all the separate characters i knew they weren't in the same place but uh a couple of the characters were it was part of the same like kingdom in the same court even though they were in very different places, because it never established this until way later in the series, and you only connected it by with them talking about the magic system and the oh, this person has a fake soul caster and this one has a real one. And she's like, "What? Wait, they're the same kingdom? Why is literally nothing about them similar?" And then the the inciting or the 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 big incidents that you remember from the story are again. A dude carrying a bridge with a bunch of other slaves so that other people could hunt giant crabs. I wish I was making this up. It's just, it's not at all entertaining to me. And Sanderson can write so much better, more character-focused, entertaining stories. And this was just all over the map, and it didn't go anywhere. He's been sitting over there fuming, making like little snide smiles, and not making eye contact with me. I really want to hear his reaction to this so in all honesty i'm actually thinking about what you're saying and trying to figure out if i agree or disagree i think that the um weird fantasy names are fine that doesn't necessarily bother me i think that's such a common thing in fantasy that if you don't do it sometimes it's weird um because it's almost more annoying to me as an avid reader of fantasy 
when a author names people Jeff or John or whatever. Um, I think Sanderson is definitely trying to create a very unique world, but I would probably agree with you, actually, that he doesn't do a good job of explaining his world through action. He just kind of tells you about it. And his world has a lot of um, interesting aspects that could be more interesting. Like the world itself has these massive storms that rage through it, and that could play into some really interesting cultural aspects, but instead it just kind of affects how the plant life grows, um, which is probably the most boring way to say, we have these massive storms. Oh my God, all of the plants retreat into their own bodies. Yes, and he tells you about these stupid shrinking plants at least 700 times. It's a lot, it's a lot. Now, the place where I would start to disagree with you is when you get to Kaladin, because I think Kaladin has a really interesting story arc, and he's probably the only character in the books I actually really really like okay side note kaladin is ostensibly the main character but there are three other characters that are others one two three four five pov characters you get six six pov characters you get that are seemingly not really connected in time for a while three of them have the last name colin which it's k-h-o-l-i-n and the main character's name is kaladin k-a-l-a-d-a so they're very close to each other that you're swapping back and forth. Three of them, again, have the exact same last name. Right. Um, because they're all um, you know, part of the same family. But the hops between them, and because they're like a royal family, they're often referred to by their last name. So talking about trying to figure out who the hell's telling you this story, yeah, this has and problems Sanderson with that too. definitely should not have done that because when you are writing a book, it is kind of standard operating procedure to try to stick to names – that have a unique first letter. So if you have a character named John, you probably shouldn't name anyone James just because people tend to get confused. But it's okay because (laughs) they are in very different settings. So Kaladin, the character that I like, um, has a really interesting job. Basically, if you've ever been to a dried lake bed or if you've ever been outside in a muddy area – and you've looked at the ground after it's dried, uh, the land is very cracked, and you've got like these deep grooves in the land, and then these almost islands of mud. Um, that's essentially what Brandon Sanderson sets a large portion of this book in. But on if, like a massive Yeah, scale. if it was basically like 600 miles across, um, and the cracks were wide enough that people could go down. So Which again, extremely interesting it's setting. It's a really cool that setting. That would have been cool. You did not need to explain it to me ten times. And right. he definitely explained it to you ten times. At least. Um, I mean, he has to fill like 1,200 pages. No, so you do that. not have to fill 1,200 pages. If you no, no, give no. yourself a word he, count, you, do, yeah, you are doing so something wrong. He wrote 1,200 pages. But um, in order to cross those gaps, they have slaves that have to carry bridges while they're being shot at by enemies and blah, blah, blah. So they carry the bridges as they're being shot at by enemies, and then they have to drop the bridges so that the army can cross over the bridges. And it's a very interesting character. It's a very interesting job, and I really like that because you can tell that Kaladin just wants to help people, and his backstory explains that. And then over time, he develops into kind of a um, kind of a savior complex, which I will agree with Joel – it's, it's not the greatest story arc because it's very heavy on tropes. 
Um, you basically have this no name, nothing, bottom of the world, scum of the earth character, literal slave for like, war literal slave. slave who you can immediately tell is going to be the biggest badass in the story. Um, but I would also say that Sanderson knows his audience. I think he knows that people like reading those types of things, and he's trying to pander to that. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I was wrong. I'm reading more of the Wikipedia page as I go along. You know how he just said there were six POV characters? No, there are 15 POV characters. 15 points of view in a 1,200-page book that is so, so pointlessly lengthy. I've read Stephen King books that had less filler nonsense in them because those original six are your main POV characters and everybody else is an interlude chapter that has maybe two or three chapters, the whole book that, you know what, are completely not needed. You know, the turtle crossing the road chapters from Grapes of Wrath. That's what half of this goddamn book felt like. It's so boring. Like I've read, I love Mistborn. That's one of my favorite mod, like fantasy series written in the last, I don't know, 30 years. And it's amazing and this book is written by the same person, and I loathe it with every aspect of my being. So I think it is really interesting. Damien. Um, it's Jen. <laughs> so my wife just came in to give Joel a mas- massage because he seemed really stressed please out. Please clarify what type of Sorry, she's giving me a shoulder, a shoulder rub. rub that has migrated down to his. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways. I got a little animated. <laughs> Mistborn, I would agree, is phenomenal. And I think, if we're being fair, Mistborn is probably better than The Way of Kings. Um, because Mistborn is a tighter novel. It's a, it's a trilogy. It's very short. And so I think Sanderson is basically required to fit in a lot of action into those three books. The Way of Kings is the first book in what I believe he wants to be a 10-book series so I think he's trying to follow on the heels of Robert Jordan. I think that the first few books are going to be a little slower, a little heavy on the world building. They're going to really be trying to establish characters and story arcs. And then I think they will probably pick up in pace. Um, but to me, it's like he started a series by writing a Samarillion and then publishing that first instead of The Hobbit. Honestly, like, I would I would probably why? I would probably agree with you to a point. I think that and I really do like the Wheel of Time series. I think that Robert Jordan did a much better job of establishing what the 10-book story arc is going to be. Um, in The Way of Kings, I don't really know what Sanderson's big villain is. Yeah, I, don't, I have no I don't idea know, what the point of the story is. I don't is. know. Yeah, exactly. I know that there are interior political problems going on in this world. I know that there are small-scale issues that need to be resolved, but I have no idea why we are spending time in this world. I don't know if there is a large problem. I don't know if that will ever come up. But you I mean, can it's kind not of, the giant crabs? It's not the giant crabs. <laughs> I read the first three books in the series. It is not the giant crabs. Um, and I kind of understand what the issue is, but it feels a little too localized to be epic fantasy, which is what Sanderson is trying to do. So I can see your point on that. And again, most – so many people who like – you know, when you're swapping favorite books and talking about things, mention this book and I have to go quiet so I don't piss them off with my blind rage about how this is not a good book and I do not like it. 
But I love the author, so I mean, maybe give it a chance if you don't agree with any of my earlier opinions on this podcast. Well, and I would honestly, I wouldn't dismiss your criticisms because I think a lot of what you bring up is very fair if you sit back and actually think about the book. Um, Jen, can you let him outside? Yeah. Musical potty. Bye, Damien. Go pee pee. Yeah. Go pee pee. No, no, it's he's fenced in. All right. So Joel's dog is going to pee. Yeah, I mean we can just cut, in case anyone's curious. We can cut that part out, or we can leave it. <laughs> we can make sounds. So oh oh wait he's co- oh he's on the computer. Psst. I thought you were just gonna give a play by play and not make pissing sounds. Oh. <laughs> I don't know which one's weirder. His penis is extending. <laughs> the liquid's coming out. Oh, Definitely the second one is weirder. What? <laughs> That was weirder. No, dogs don't have to extend their... They don't have to get a boner to pee. You know what? Your dog seems like it might. Oh, okay. I, I think know. that's rude, but I don't really you know, what? know I how. I <laughs> couldn't tell you, but it's possible. So anyways, I agree with you on The Way of Kings. It's probably not the most well-written epic fantasy novel. I think that if you look at it as the world bu- the world-building narrative for the first book in a 10-book series, I think it's really good. Um, I think it does do a good job of setting the stage, and I enjoy several of the characters. I like Dalinar, colon, who's kind of the... One of the colons. Yeah, he's not a king, but he might as well be a king, based off of how he's portrayed. I like Kaladin. I think he's an interesting character. Um, Other than that, I kind of read through the other characters as fast as possible to get back to those two. Yeah, which is Um, always a big problem. Yeah, and I think Sanderson probably could have made this book a little more um, – he could have made it tighter. I don't think he needed to write as many pages as he did, and I think he's really, really attempting to be one of the um, pillars of epic fantasy 100 years from now. I think he wants to be a Tolkien or a George Martin. But he needs someone to come in and tell him to kill your darlings. He really There's does. Some stuff that needs to be cut out. He needs to tighten all of the books because um, – Mistborn probably could have been made into a 10-book epic fantasy series very easily. Um, and I, he, even in Mistborn, he seemed he kind of started spiraling at some points when you're just like, this is unnecessary. Like, I love those books, but you could tell mm-hmm. he wanted to add a whole bunch more story every now and then. Yeah. That he somehow reined himself in and wrote a really good book. And the problem with Sanderson is that he is trying to essentially write all of his books in the same universe, which he calls the Cosmere. And um, I don't know how well that's going to play out because every once in a while you'll get kind of a weird crossover in some of his books where you're like, wait, what? And like that's – I mean Stephen King did it and a lot of people want to live up to that for some reason. But Stephen King did it in a very easy way Mm -hmm. of making there be like a multiverse that all his books exist in. Like they don't all exist basically on the same planet really. On the same plane, yeah. Like he he gave himself an extra – and – all of his books for how grand and crazy they are, they're all set in small towns and mm-hmm. little communities. They aren't epic fantasy, t- entirely different yeah, worlds. Yeah, he limits himself. And I think that's going to probably be Sanderson's downfall. I think he might eventually cement himself as one of the greats just because of how much he writes. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it will be necessarily <clears throat> for this series. Um, simply because if you look at the truly great authors of fantasy – their books are pretty tight or they 
actually take the time to develop their world before they start to do crazy things. For example, I'm not a huge fan of Steven Erickson's Gardens of the Moon um, because it is a very slow read. It builds the world building um, basically one brick at a time, and each book is a brick. And Sanderson attempts to build cities at a time and you know municipalities, and it's a bit much. So we'll see how it goes. I do enjoy the process of reading his books. I think they are colorful. Um, I think his shorter books are probably a little yeah. better. And I, I like, again, everything else he's written that I've read. Mm-hmm. This is the only one where I was just like, oh, no. So I have not read the rest of this series. But it was... Right. The only other thing I wonder, and this is kind of going off on a tangent, but Sanderson is obviously um, a pretty religious guy. He's, he's a Mormon. Um, and all of his fantasy feels cartoonish. And I don't know if that's fair, but if you read um, a lot of other fantasy, it's it's gritty. It deals with real world issues. Um, if you read Sanderson, the worst thing that any character is ever going to do is kiss someone they're not married to. And then that's pretty much it. Um, they might kill someone, but there's not going to be a lot of blood, guts, and gore. It's just going to be, and he chopped his head off and we're moving on. Yeah, the the worst crimes or the worst like the the graphic things that happen in the books are done by non-human entities every time. Yes, a hundred percent. So you don't really have much of it, it. It never really feels like a real place that you're escaping to. It feels Wait, like did a Sanderson write Atlantis. Yes. Okay. See, that one was graphic and gross at times, but again, it was. Yeah, I guess it wasn't exactly. It never strays into some. It never strays into the darker elements of human existence it's always still a little cartoonish yeah um elantris is probably the darkest thing he's written but if you read like um most of his novels they are very very pg oriented in my opinion and you can disagree with that i'm i'm trying to think back through i i know like a fantasy not even a trope but if you're stuck in a medieval world talk of of brothels and courtesans and whores is usually commonplace and i don't remember any of that in mistborn at all uh-huh. which they're in like the grunge they're thieves quarters of a city there that would have been a thing that happened and that's never mentioned right and that is that exactly you got, did not think about it till you just said yeah that. the main character is a thief but that's yeah, as she's bad like as a gets. female girl she's like a young woman in a i said female girl <laughs> she's a female girl woman <laughs> but she's yeah she's a a very young like very attractive woman in a very very bad community of like thieves and the lowest life people and she's never exploited she's never even afraid that she's going to be sold into prostitution or slavery which is would have would be a thing in most fantasy books yeah and that would be one of the motivating factors and instead all of the criminals she interacts with they might threaten to kill her ish but um generally they're going to be like pretty happy-go-lucky criminals um, in a lot of ways. And so Sanderson, even though I don't know that he's writing young adult fiction, sometimes it feels like it skews that way. He so. definitely polishes the sharp edges from fantasy stories. 100%. And I think that's Which I never at all thought about. It's interesting. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to probably limit him from being considered one of the fantasy greats, only because it's... Anytime I read his books, I never actually, in my mind's eye, view the characters as being real. I view them with almost like a cartoonish sheen, like okay. hyper real, almost I like um, I don't watch anime, but almost in an anime type fashion. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. 
Okay, so we did books we hated this time. Right. Let's do a instead of this, you should read oh, this okay. thing. So I like that. Um, let's do it for each other's because I don't have one for mine. Um, but I do have one for if YA uh, – it's not necessarily post-apocalyptic or dystopian, but if, if YA from a teenage point of view book is um, something you're looking for, even if you're looking for something with multiple point of views and – Death being an option, um, you should check out a book I'm going to do soon, Carry On, and its sequel, Wayward Son. Um, I'm not going to go into much detail about them, but they're by Rainbow Rowell or something, and they're both they're basically Harry Potter knockoffs, and they are making fun of and fulfilling um, uh, all the fan fiction tropes, but really, really well written. And it's probably a better version of if you want to read a knockoff story that's good, try those. And there's one more book coming in that series. Okay. Um, I think if you are going to read uh, The Way of Kings, but you're not really someone who's a fan of way too many points of view characters, um, way too much description of the scenery without actually doing anything with it, if you would prefer something that's a little less cartoonish, um, I think you could do a lot worse. So there, there are a couple books. First of all, I think if you are one of the weird people who has not yet read The Lord of the Rings, I think you should read it because um, that is probably the first place you should start with fantasy. Um, <laughs> my wife did a woo woo. Um, I hope that came through. <laughs> the, prob- the problem with that is uh, it's a little descriptive of the scenery at times. And by a little, I mean that's most of the book. Yeah, so but it, it's older. You it, can tell it's written it, a long yeah. time ago, so it – it feels natural in those books. Right, right. So it's not as bad. It's not as in your face. So if you don't want the descriptive narrative, then at that point, I think you could probably stray into um, Steven Erickson's Gardens of the Moon, um, Glenn Cook's The Black Company. Both of those are a lot more gritty. They're going to bring you into a fantasy world that is fully fleshed out. Um, I think that um, and both of those are shorter books. <laughs> a lot shorter. A lot shorter. Uh, the Gardens of the Moon is a short read, it but it branches into an epic eleven book series if if that's what you're kind of looking for. So those would be my recommendations. All right. Well, um, we uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back to a normal ish schedule probably in the new year. Um, but uh, and we'll probably be back to doing the normal format. But we do have guest appearances lined up. Jen will be our first one. Yikes. Okay. She said yikes. <laughs> um, but we have a couple more uh, ideas for guests uh, that will come in and recommend books that we've read. That's going to be great. We're going to have Bono on in a mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and all share. proceeds will go to whatever Bono is Red. reading. Red. Okay. It's against AIDS in Africa. Okay, there we go. See? I know Bono had like a UN charter thing that he's always... Right. Yeah, I mm-hmm. don't know what it was. Yeah, 100%. But uh, the rest... We'll do a quick um, five-minute wrap-up for uh, talking about the Lightbringer series on our read-along section. Uh, but if you want to duck out because you haven't caught up, I'm on book three of those. Um you can find out of, us out on, of five books. So if you think you're almost done, you're not. The yeah. latest book came out like a month and a half ago. <laughs> so if you haven't read book five, kill the podcast, go read it. I mean, I'm only on book three, and that's all, only all we're going to spoil. Uh, but if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at, at book underscore pod. Facebook is at book report podcast, and Instagram is at the book report pod. Remember to like, share, and subscribe.
and by people who don't read the Lightbringer series. Okay, uh, we talked about this a little earlier when we got here, and I'm in book three. Um, Gavin is blind, or Gavin slash Dazen is blind, uh, or colorblind at least. Kip is fulfilling. That was book three? That was the end of book two. Oh, jeez. Okay. Not in this universe. Stay in your lane, Jen. <laughs> I did say that rather rude. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, my best friend's a jerk. I just didn't want to be wrong. No. <laughs> so Gavin went blind at the end of book two. Uh, Kip is like fulfilling all the Lightbringer prophecies um, one by one. And he's now less fat and he's fitting in and he understands his purpose and his he role. He means Kip for those of That's you. That's what I who... said. I said Kip. You said Gavin. No, I said Gavin's blind and Kip is. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Kip is fulfilling. He means all... Kip. Yeah. Kip is fulfilling all the Lightbringer prophecies. Um, his uncle, his grandpa got creepier. Anyways, we're caught up. That's where we are. I just finished the section where Kip died and went to the like great library and talked to some, uh, and you realize that this librarian who taught him how to play the card game that is just Magic the Gathering, um, has been, was, was a ghost or a goddess or some shit. And he talked to some other ghost god thing in there and stole his invisibility cloak the ghost god thing Joel's talking about is called Abaddon, which is essentially this novel's version of the devil. Yeah, and it hasn't explained that to me yet. That's okay. Um, but yeah, he stole his invisibility cloak because apparently everybody needs invisibility cloaks in every fantasy world anymore. Um, and now all the Magic the Gathering cards that he used to die and transport himself to the library are blank. Um, and it was just the weirdest out-of-nowhere chapter. Like... This book has been very good about staying grounded within its rules that it's set up. Every now and then telling you, oh, there's also seers who can see the future, but they're in their own little place. There's also these things that are called mirrors that can tell the truth only about things when they're painting the cards. You know that there's more magic stuff out there, but suddenly to have one character literally die and go to an infinite timeless void and talk to the devil as just a casual thing that happens was real weird and threw me off. Um, and this book, the third book has felt very meandering compared to the first two. The first two were, there's a very specific, like, you know what's happening next. And in the middle of the second one, it started slowing down. You're like, Oh, is he going to actually go to school and like learn things? And you're like, Nope, he's going off to the next, this next battle. And so far this book, he's been, actually just training and staying at the Cromerian and learning and dealing with palace intrigue. Meanwhile, there's a war going on that you keep hearing other information from every now and then. Uh, the guy who was the main character for the first two books has been a slave most of this book and has now been locked in a dungeon, the other half of the book. So he's not doing anything big. So all the big world-altering effects are happening in the background to these personal stories this book. And it just feels very meandering and not going anywhere right now. So I, I don't remember the third book that well because I read all these so quickly together, but is Kip a is he in blackguard training? Yes, but he already he knows okay. he's not gonna be actually allowed to be a blackguard, so okay. it feels kind of pointless. Okay. He's all like he's very smart and he's I don't it's just very like this book for the first time in the series, I'm not eager to pick it back up because it doesn't have any 
there's no forward momentum right now. Okay. Nothing's happening. Like there's no big danger on the horizon. It doesn't. So feel what's like. what's what exactly? If you can be a little more specific, is happening in the third book? Because I'm trying to remember. Uh, so, so you're probably pretty early on in the third. No, book. I'm about. I'm. You're about I'm done. Three, two, three quarters. Okay. Of the way so it, going back to the um weird library scene, that actually plays a pretty central role in the next couple of books. Like it feels important, but it, it just came out of nowhere. It's very important. It comes out of nowhere, but it comes out of nowhere kind of in the same way it would come out of nowhere if someone was telling a story about your life and then you were hiking out in the woods and you stumbled across a portal to another universe. It would feel random. Right, which but, is not a bad thing, but it's like yeah, you can't but then, introduce But then you yeah. find out like that your entrance into the portal to the other universe gives you insight into what's happening in your world. So yeah. it, it starts to play in on each other. And in this world, there is a um, multiple worlds okay. theory, basically, because they reference in the first couple of books um, in their mythology that there are a thousand worlds. They just don't really address it at all. It's just part of the... We've been talking about the Everdark gate forever, and I can't tell if that's an actual physical It's an actual thing, gate. Basically, imagine, a, imagine if um, this whole... This whole story was happening in the, I don't know, like Sicily. Okay, imagine that Sicily, the island of Sicily is the Jaspers, and that's where the Chromeria is. And um, so all of the stuff that's happening is happening on the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. And then the Everdark Gates is what separates the Mediterranean from the Atlantic. And that's what it, that's what it kind of feels like, yeah. is somebody built a giant gate and shut off this entire, like, like weird sea from the rest of the world. Yeah. It's like kind of what it feels like, but also it doesn't feel very important. Obviously, it should be, but it's not addressed that much. It's, it's just not important. thrown out of slang. At all. That's weird then. Well, it's it's referenced a couple of times, but it's it, – I honestly appreciate that because Brent Weeks obviously has a much larger world in mind, but he doesn't do the Sanderson thing where he decides to involve it in his story. Gotcha. He, stay, he sticks with what it, – it, it's kind of like if you were telling a story about Julius Caesar – you probably would not also want to branch out into what the Native Americans are doing. Fair. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, I mean, it just, this whole book, book three, like book one, it was, you know, getting Kip to the Cromeria. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this new evil rising. Book two is, holy shit, we're in war and we have to deal with this and this. And um, we fight two giant battles. This book had a giant battle near the beginning, but you only saw. You weren't on both sides of it. You were only on one side of the battle. Mm-hmm. And since then, you haven't seen any of these huge battles they've just obliquely talked about. It's been fast-forwarding through time real quickly, while at the same time, nothing big is happening to any of your main characters. Right. They're all stuck in specific places. Um, and like the other two books were all about travel and going to the next place and doing the next thing. Mm-hmm. And these books, everyone has been pretty solitary. And this is the uh, now near the end of the book, the first big, like terrifying incident has happened when his brother Zyman showed up. Right. And that's the first time it's like, oh, okay, that's going to be the plot of this book is Zyman's interaction with court life at Chromaria. But holy shit, you waited way too long to get this there. Yeah, he does an interesting thing where I think Weeks might have had something bigger in mind, but then he realizes that that's going to cause too many loose ends. So in the first couple of books, you do have kind of this larger world. And then by the time you get to book three, four, and five, he condenses it so that most of the story takes place 
with the Cromeria being kind of central. Which, yeah, which early on I was fine with. You're finally going to get to see Kip in his element and, right. like, being awesome. And Kip did get awesome, but then it just stayed there. It never yeah. – I'm, like, I'm ready for the next thing to happen and it still just keeps dealing with assassination attempts and court politics and yeah. learning weird cultic magic stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's let's go on. <laughs> yeah, and that's completely fine. I just finished book five, finally finished the series – and book five was phenomenal. Um, I don't remember book three or four, honestly. Um, but I, you know, keep reading. You I mean, I, I definitely will. I yeah. mean, I have this one. I have like six or seven hours left in a 17-hour audiobook for it. And it's just now getting to the inciting incident for the book, oh, it feels like. So yeah. I was like, this is a weirdly paced one. Yeah, but frustrating. it's the first low point in the series and it's near the end of the third book. So, you know, you're going to have middling lows. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back when we're back. Sorry, holidays are a weird schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.